Last week, I talked about godly sorrow and how having godly sorrow is basically having an attitude of repentance uh, throughout your life and being willing to repent when you come across something in your life that you're struggling with and it's difficult for you to deal with. And because it's so difficult to do that, to understand the situation that you're in or what you're wrestling with and be, being willing to confront it so that you can repent from it, uh, it's not an easy thing to do. And so today I want to kind of go on to the next step of that and talk about all of the many wonderful fruits and blessings that come when we are willing to repent from our sin. Because in the very next verse, after the section of scripture I talked about last week, the very next verse talks about all of the wonderful things that come after repentance. And so we're going to be looking at that today. And so this is 2 Corinthians chapter 7 again. And we're just going to look at verse 11 today. It says, See what this godly sorrow has produced in you. What earnestness, what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what alarm, what longing, what concern, what readiness to see justice done. At every point you have proved yourselves to be innocent in this matter. So here Paul gives a list of the many things that comes from the repentance of godly sorrow, and it gives a list of all these different words, and it's easy for us to look at a list like that and not really fully understand what each of those things are talking about. So that's essentially what I'm going to do today, is break down each one of these terms that come from our repentance. So let's start with the first one, which is earnestness. And how does earnestness come from repentance? Well, one of the wonderful things that happens after we repent from our sin, right? We understand what we're dealing with, and we confront it, we face it, we deal with it, and we tell God that we're going to turn from it. When we give that burden to him, one of the wonderful things that it does is it keeps us from having to maintain this facade that everything is fine. Because, again, last week we talked about worldly sorrow, which is kind of the opposite of godly sorrow, and how it leads us to abandon things and run away from it and try to hide it, cover it up, keep it secret. But instead, with godly sorrow, you're facing it and saying, I'm turning away from it instead. So when we are in that worldly sorrow, right, we've got the sin in our life, we have the thing that we're struggling with, and we're trying to keep it secret, what we end up doing is just kind of putting on a good face for the people around us to pretend that everything is okay. Or maybe it could be the opposite of that, where we want everybody to feel sorry for us, so we really kind of go the extra mile in talking about how terrible and awful everything in our life is. And sometimes that's the way that we mask what's really going on in our life is by being overdramatic with everything going on in our life. Um, but either way, we, we have this kind of role that we play with other people in order to keep them at arm's length or to have them come in and comfort us not try to challenge us to be better than we are, 
but just kind of say, oh, poor you, I hope you're okay. And neither of those scenes is really you being true to yourself and, and true to God and to other people about what's going on in your life. There's no honesty there. It's all this fake facade and this role, this, this person that you put on in order to pretend that everything is different than it actually is and keep people at an arm's length. And so when we do repent from that sin and we drop that facade, then all of those people that we are keeping at arm's length, we can now be earnest and honest with them. And we can be really upfront about what's really going on in our life. And that allows us to build connections with people that are real relationships rather than just an exchange of goods in a sense of what can I get from you and and leave it at that. But instead, you're opening, opening up your heart to them and you can begin building that real relationship. And that can only happen when there is repentance in our life. So that brings earnestness. And then the next one is an eagerness to clear yourselves. And that's pretty straightforward. It's this idea that you want to make amends for what you've done so that you can move on and everyone involved can move on from that situation. And it's very much like when Jesus encountered Zacchaeus, the tax collector, and after eating at his house, Zacchaeus comes to Jesus and says, I want to make things right in my life, and I'm going to pay back the people that I've taken money from above and beyond what I took from them, because I don't just want to pay them back. I want to also pay them for the wrongdoing that I did to them. I really want to make things right. And it's that idea, uh, that, that desire that we have in our life then, where after we've left that sin behind and we look at all of the destruction that it caused while it's around, in that desire to finally move past that point in our life, we have to make sure that we make amends for everything that happened. And so that's what we do. We, we have this eagerness to clear ourselves, to clear our names, to make everything right so that we can finally put it all in the past where it belongs and move on to something new. So we have an earnestness and an eagerness to clear ourselves. And then the next one is indignation. And indignation is when we become revolted by the sin that was in our life. We're disgusted by it. And it reaches this point where this thing that we used to be so tempted by, we really had a weakness for it, and we would fall short over and over and over again because of how enticing it was for us. That as we begin to leave it behind and as we begin to break away from it and separate ourselves from it, that we really are able to see it for what it truly is in not just the short-term uh, pleasurable parts that we enjoyed, but really the long-term destructive effects. And it really is like taking the mask off of it and being able to see it for what it truly is. 
And when we get that insight into it, that this thing that was once so desirable to us is something that then becomes so revolting, and we simply can't stand the idea of it being a part of our life. And of course, that indignation is what then moves us to to the next word that Paul uses, which is alarm. And this is where we're, we are alarmed that we used to let this thing be a part of us. And we realize that we've transformed so much from who we were when we were letting that sin be a part of our life. That it really kind of shocks us that we did allow that sin to be in our life. Because who we've become now wants absolutely nothing to do with it. But this is really nice because that then allows us to see how we are growing in our spiritual life. That we can look at where we used to be and not only are we disgusted by that sin, we're revolted by it, but now even just the idea that that used to be a part of who we were is shocking to us. It's alarming to us. And when we're able to see that change that has taken place in our life, it really is something that becomes encouraging to us because then we're able to see how we have been growing in Christ and the way that God has been molding us into someone new. And it really helps us battle against feelings of hopelessness because sometimes we can feel like we're trying so hard to do what's right, but we still make so many mistakes. And and sometimes we can feel kind of hopeless in that situation and think, what's the point of all this? I'm not getting anywhere. But then these situations come along where we look at how far we have come already and it fills us with hope once again as we realize that we have been growing, we have been changing, we're not the same person as we used to be. A change has been taking place in our life. And that then fills us with hope and really moves us on to the next word that's used, which is the lawning. What lawning comes after repentance? Because as we're looking at our past and how much our present has changed from our past, and how much better our life is now, it then fills us with this lawning and this desire to see more of those positive changes in our life. Because we see how much better our life is now, compared to how it used to be in just this one area that we used to struggle with. And then we think about, you know, there's still all of these other things that we're struggling with, all these other things that we're trying to break away from. And we realize that we won't have to struggle with that forever. Just like how there was this one thing that we used to struggle with, but now we're shocked by the idea that it even used to be a part of us realizing that the things we're dealing with now will eventually be just like that. That as we continue to grow, we'll reach a point where the things that seem so overwhelming and so impossible sometimes to deal with in our life now, that two, three, four, five years from now, it'll seem just as insignificant as that one thing that used to seem overwhelming 
now seems insignificant. And the desire that we have, that longing to continue to grow and reach new transformations in Christ, to break us away from the things that we're struggling with now, that's the longing that is being talked about here. So we've talked about the earnestness, the eagerness to clear ourselves, the indignation, the alarm, the longing, and then that brings us to the concern. And this isn't a concern for us, it's a concern for the people around us. Because we're able to see at this point the changes that are taking place in our life, and we're looking forward to the changes yet to come. But we still have many people in our life, many friends, family members, people we care about, who are struggling with things in their life, and are maybe wrestling with it, and and in that place of hopelessness that we sometimes wrestle with. And we then become concerned for them because we then want to see the positive changes that are happening in our life, the good works that God is doing in our own hearts. We want to see those same things in the lives of the people around us. And this is where there's really a shift in our perspective, where instead of just trying to be the best person that we can be, sometimes because we just want to be better than the people around us, and it shouldn't be that way, but in our sinful way of thinking, that's often how we think about it. Like, oh, if I can just be better than this person I don't like, and and that's my motivation, when really it shouldn't, but as God begins to break us away from sin in our life, and we're looking at the people around us, and especially if they're dealing with the things that we used to deal with. And we, from our own personal experience, know how terrible those things are. And how destructive they are to a person's life. That we don't even wish that upon our worst of enemies. And especially not the people we care about. And so to see them then struggling with those things, that we are concerned for them, and we want to see those changes that we've experienced, we want to see those in their life as well. And so now it's taking this work of Christ that God has been doing in our own life, and rather than just drawing it inward, we then begin to turn that outward as we look to the people around us and wanting that same work to be done in their lives which leads us to the last phrase that paul uses here which is a readiness to see justice done and the readiness that it's talking about here isn't just the ready that we would use to describe a desire like oh i'm so ready for this to be over it's kind of like oh i just want this to be over it's Not that kind of readiness that is being talked about here. This is a readiness of preparation. So where you say, I am ready for this test, or I am ready for this challenge. It's a ready, it's a preparedness. That's the kind of readiness that's being talked about here. A readiness to see justice done. 
So it's not just wanting justice to be done, but it's being ready to participate in letting, in, in making justice happen. It's saying that I am willing to participate in the stand that is being made for justice to be met. And not just justice of uh, condemnation and judgment, not that kind of justice, but the justice that can be found through the merciful work of Christ. And that forgiveness of sin that we've experienced as we've repented. That kind of justice that we are then ready to make a stand for. And this is where we then find ourselves being motivated to join in the work that God wants to do in the whole world. The work that we've experienced in our own life that we then say, this isn't just for me, this is for everyone. And I'm not just going to wish that it happens for everyone. I'm not just going to wish the best in other people's lives, but I am ready to participate in the work of God's kingdom. And again, when we have that godly sorrow, when we have that attitude of repentance, it leads us down this entire path of being able to break away from that sin and not only break away from that sin in our own life, but to begin to participate in the work of God's kingdom and allowing that same transformation that God works in us to do our part in helping others find Christ so that transformation can take place in their life as well. So as I talked about last week, it begins with understanding what we're dealing with and confronting it in repentance, not just forgiveness, where you say, I'm sorry, but repentance, where you say, I'm turning away from it. And it then leads us down this path of the fruits of that repentance, the blessings that come from that repentance, the earnestness, where you're finally able to be honest with God and with others about what's actually going on in your life because you're no longer trying to hide things away from people out of shame and guilt. But you've accepted Christ's forgiveness. You've placed that burden upon him. And so you can finally be earnest with others. And then out of that earnestness, you begin to clear your name, that eagerness to clear yourself, to make amends, to make things right. And eventually you hit that point of indignation towards that sin and how it alarms you that it used to be part of you. And in seeing that transformation, you have that longing to continue to grow. And that as you grow, that inward longing becomes an outward concern about the condition of other people to a point where we're motivated to stand ready to see justice done. This is the blessings of repentance. And as Paul said to the Corinthian church, at every point you have proved yourselves to be innocent in this matter. Now remember, the Corinthian church 
was not very innocent at first. They had a lot of rampant sin that they needed to deal with. But they didn't start innocent, but they were washed in the blood of Christ, which is a really silly sounding phrase if you're not a Christian, but it just means accepting Christ's sacrifice on the cross that paid the price for your sin. And that when we do that, he wipes away our sin as if it was never there. And that innocence is restored. But then as we continue to repent and turn away from that sin, from all of that sin in our life, and walk those paths of righteousness, that we then prove ourselves to be innocent. And that's what Paul is saying to the Corinthian church, is that they've proven themselves to be innocent in this matter, not because they started innocent, but because they were willing to participate in repentance and have then and had produced in their life earnestness, eagerness to clear themselves, indignation, alarm, longing, concern, and readiness to see justice done. And as long as we continue to allow godly sorrow to be in our life, to maintain an attitude that is willing to repent, that is not so proud to say, I'm sorry to God, and not so proud to say, God, you know better than I do, lead me down your paths of righteousness. And as long as we maintain that attitude of repentance that's known as godly sorrow, all of these things will be added to our life. And that is today's sermon in the pocket. As always, if you have any comments or questions for me, I'd love to hear from you. Feel free to contact me either through the Sermon in the Pocket Facebook page, or you can email me directly at sermoninthepocket at gmail.com. And I encourage you to share this with other people to help get the message out there. But until next time, I pray that God will bless you as you go throughout your day. Thank you for taking the time to listen. Thank you.